Welcome to The Local, brought to you by Fairhaven Wealth Management in partnership with our friends at the Wheaton Chamber of Commerce here in Wheaton, Illinois. I'm Mark Horner, and together with Vicki Austin, we bring you conversations about what's happening with people right around you. Everyone has a story that goes well beyond their day-to-day life. Stories about their history, their passion, their inspirations. All you have to do is look and ask and maybe listen. These stories may be local, but their reach is far and their themes universal. Welcome to another edition of The Local. We are thrilled to have Steve Nachi. Great. That's it. <laughs> you got it right. From St. Francis High School joining us. So uh, this is a, a, just a broken record, but I've got yet another disclosure to throw out there. Please do. That one of our, one of our sweet children attends St. Francis. So uh, I appreciate you being willing to revisit some of her grades in return <laughs> for appearance on the, on the podcast. We're all ethically comfortable with that. But go Spartans, she state champions in bring a state champion volleyball. Yeah, so we'll see yes. what I can do. I'll go talk right? to the dean. Ab- right absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but, thr- but we are thrilled with our St. Francis experience and love, to, love that you are joining us today. Thank Where did you, she Steve. get her volleyball talent, by the way? Is that, did she get that from... So definitely Dad, not definitely Mom. not me. No, yeah, definitely definitely not me. My wife was a high school and college volleyball player. Uh, she okay. was then a high school uh, volleyball coach. Oh, I didn't know that. And uh, as usual, I'll find some way to to turn the to turn the attention back to me. <laughs> my wife, my wife and I are one of two. Uh, husband and wife members of the Athletic Hall of Fame at the college that we went to. Oh, wow. So she was quite an accomplished volleyball Tremendous. player. Yeah. That's so amazing. My, uh, my role in volleyball is as a fan only. I once said to my wife, uh, you know, why, are, why aren't they rotating in a circle? And she looked at <laughs> like, me and said, is... would you please sit someplace else? <laughs> well, you did donate well, your DNA. You gave her DNA. some height. Yeah, I gave height. Yeah, you gave yeah, DNA. Which is not right. nothing. I gave height, well, but it's a pleasure but, to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Sure. Sure. Not, not at all, not at all. Again, we we love we love the experience at St. Francis. So, how long have you been in St. Francis? Uh, two and a half years. Started we, in uh, August 2020. And what brought you to St. Francis? Um, I, well, I live in Oak Park, and um, I've been involved in Catholic fundraising for a bit. And uh, um, in, in 2020, um, I was looking for uh, a change from the position I was in, and uh, I didn't have any connection to St. Francis other than the name. St. Francis is my patron saint. Mm-hmm. I was born on his feast day, October 4th, as was my wife. She's born on October 4th, too. That's actually how we met. She came up to me and said, did you know we have the same birthday? <laughs> so I did not know that. And I said, will you marry me? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it, it took a little while, about was... 10 years for me to come to my oh. senses. But uh, no, so there was an affinity for St. Francis the saint and Catholic education is, um, is a passion. And so connecting with, uh, you know, the leadership at the time, um, you know, it was a great mission that they have there. And so raising money for our great missions, uh, a joy. Indeed. So yeah. in 2020, you, you made the transition during I year did. one of the pandemic. COVID. Yes. Right. Like everybody. I mean, starting a new job is tough because you don't know what anyone looks like. Um, but you know, as you know, or probably know, we were in person the whole time. So at least we were there, mm-hmm. you know, around other people. And I wasn't working from home. I never worked from home through COVID. We absolutely love that. That was, that was actually an element of, uh, of, uh, what led us to St. Francis. So the standing out from the standing out from the crowd, we very much appreciate, very much appreciate. As a fellow English literature major, oh no, <laughs> I must ask you, 
about how you transitioned from English literature and really writing and loving to read and write, I'm assuming, um, to uh, the world of advancement or fundraising, as it used to be called. Can you tell us a little bit about that career I thought you were going to ask me to recite a poem or something like that, <laughs> which you started Just a little in. Beowulf, yeah, only the first doesn't. 10 chapters. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, well, the transition, I say, would say, was, is, was slow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, um, I studied... English in uh, in college because I loved um, what I could get from the stories, right? Mm-hmm. And what you can learn from the humanities are, well, I should say first, I went in as, a, as an engineering major and that was a complete failure. I discovered after year one that not, that, that was not going to be my career path. Um, I took a little detour and uh, spent some time in Europe um, really? with my brother and another friend biking around Europe for a semester. In a study abroad program or no? <laughs> You could call it that. Sort of. No study. Uh, no, just on a shoestring budget and, and bikes and, um, you know, Eurail passes. This How was 89. Fun. Our money lasted about 70 days. We had wow. a $30 a day budget. That's amazing. Um, so funny. So it, we... When we, so I'd finished one year of college and uh, realized that engineering was not going to be my track. And um, so a friend who had graduated a year ahead, um, who had done a summer in France, said that he was going to go uh, ride bikes in, in, the, in the summer of 89. And would I want to come? And my brother and I jumped on it. And so we, we took our bikes. And it's funny. So when we Got on the when we when we got on the plane we had one bag one luggage bag we had to put all your biking gear and everything you needed for what was almost three months for us and our bikes were the other bag so they were in a box and you kind of had to turn the handle sideways the handlebar sideways so we get to De Gaulle right first overseas flight first time ever in, in France. And uh, we get our bags, and this friend of mine had arranged the family he knew to come and pick us up. And they show up, two of them, two sisters, show up in a Peugeot. <laughs> little, little Peugeot. <laughs> Peugeot. <laughs> and they start laughing at us when they see. So, I mean, we were right there at the baggage claim, like the, the doors, and we could see the size of their car. And they started oh, no. laughing when they pointed and said something <laughs> funny about us in French, I'm sure. And uh, said, well, you know, we can't take the bikes. There's no way we can get you and the bikes in there. So we opened up our bags, put our biking gear on. Uh, put the bikes together right there in the terminal. And rode from the airport. Gave them our bags, <gasps> our luggage. They gave us a map and they said, good luck. <laughs> so we, we pedaled our bikes out of the terminal into the, you know, the, the traffic. I was going to say, made our way it is to, not close to the city. De no, we were, well, so we were somewhere north, uh, north of Paris, Montmorency, Soisy-sous-Montmorency, I don't know how many miles it was. It seemed like forever. I bet. But we didn't really care. It was great. <laughs> you made it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that, that probably that detour and, and um, you know, just reflecting on, you know, uh, what I wanted to do after that. And, and um, I met a, actually a, a mentor, a, a great professor there who I wonder if you know when he was there. John Evans was his name, Professor Evans. Taught Shakespeare. Yes. Milton. Yes. So just so the crowd is aware, what we're talking about, I'm on the outside here. This is uh, this, these are once. Arizona. These are mm-hmm. Arizona references. You Arizona two are, you two State are making, University. Right? Arizona, right. Arizona yeah. State. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I do want to come back to France and I want to hear oh, about good. the. Okay. Well, you guys can go on your little Arizona well, detour I, as long yeah. as you want. But I want. But I want to come back to the France thing and, and hear about the 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 rest of the experience. Was was any of it mapped out, or did that? 
riding away from the terminal, did you just kind of find your, <laughs> continue to find your way around the, around the country? So, you know, the only things that we had were our, our budget, again, $30 a day, it's what we set aside, $10 to stay somewhere, $10 to eat, and $10 to do something. Uh, we had Eurail passes for the big distances, and our family that we were staying with, they were going to be in Austria uh, sometime during our stay. So we knew that we would end up there at some point. But really, it was um, we took a long ride out to Brittany. Um, you know, dry, riding your bike is funny when they, they said, well, make sure you stop and see Chart Cathedral. Have you seen Chart Cathedral? This enormous cathedral? I've not seen um, it. I've seen pictures of it. Make the, sure you, 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 you stop is. by and see it. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's enormous. So our... You know, we, we said, well, we happen to see it. And, and as we're biking toward it, you know, initially we catch something. It looks like a barn about a mile away. And as you get, we continue on, it gets bigger and bigger, but almost no closer. It, it's, it was remarkable that we could see it at a distance. An enormous cathedral there. So we, we took that first ride. Um, our first big trip was from Paris to Pisa, Italy, where we put our bikes on the train with us. We, we, what we thought was the same train. Uh, when we got there, we realized that the bikes hadn't arrived, and so we had to make our make our do make do without the bikes for a little bit. Uh, you know, it's like not having your bag at the airport, but even worse, this is your transportation. Right. So it's like not having your car at the airport. Yeah, even worse. You're right. right. Yeah. Right. So we had the impression that they were kind of having a go with us, and that you know we had the image that they were riding our bikes around, <laughs> and they'd, they'd get it back to us eventually. We ended up getting our bikes back three days later, but. Yeah, so we, um, you know, we uh, we took a, a, a trip over to Dubrovnik and then made our way up uh, into Austria. It, it was, some of it was planned, but some of it was just, where do you want to go today? How and, amazing. Uh, right? Let's do that right now. Unbelievable. Let's go. The last week was riding along the Loire River with, oh. with all those French chateaux. Oh. Beautiful. Nice and flat. It was good for bike riding. I'm ready. Yeah. I think the chamber should put a bike trip together. Let's do it. Uh, well, again, you know. That sounds good. Down okay. the Fox River. Yeah. Well, right. starting at the Fox flat, River. Right. Yeah. I prefer right. the Loire Valley. Yeah. Thank you so we much. we got to ease into the experience. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Got to train. So what was the food, what was the food you like? You know, again, it's $10 a day, right? Yeah. We had a budget. Yeah. Hostels? Uh, were you staying at hostels? Youth hostels. America, the American mm -hmm. Youth Hostel, I think mm -hmm. is what they were called. We had every morning we had, you know, coffee or chocolate, chocolate or mm -hmm. in, a, in bread. Um, we had a lot of um, That's all simple anyone meals needs in the world. Yeah, Chocolate and bread. Maybe there a were, little wine here and there <laughs> here in France, right? It's funny when we right. were when we were in in Italy and we had our, our bikes and we we took a train from Rome to the east coast of Italy, Pescara is the town, and we knew we were going to catch um, a boat across to to Yugoslavia, um, what was then Yugoslavia in '89, and uh, we we got to the port and the the boat had already taken off for the day, so we had to spend the night and really hadn't kind of budgeted for what that meant. But we ate right there, and we went into this restaurant, and they just started bringing antipasta and seafood dishes, and we were eating it because we were so hungry, but then we thought, what does this cost? <laughs> so we stopped and asked for the check, and it was, you know, blew a hole in our budget, so we, we walked around in the corner and slept in an alley that night. Oh, <laughs> And just, you know, <laughs> caught up on our lodging budget. Well, did you, did you pay or was that a dine and dash? No, we no. paid, but, you know, we had we had overdone the $10 a right. day. Yeah. So we had no money to stay in a hostel. And so three of us slept in an alley. And the link to advancement, right? Where you are carefully <laughs> budgeting and managing people's money. I get that. What a segue, yeah. Vicky. Yes. I love it. That's beautiful. Yeah, you got right back on track with your budget. <laughs> 
Very impressed. No. So what did mom and dad think about when you threw out this idea about uh, taking a break from college to go across the pond? I think that... um, they they figured hey they weren't going to stop us we had we'd saved money we had bought bikes um you know the three three 19 20 year olds they probably figured how much trouble could we get in and you know probably pretty safe so they were all for it they thought it was a great experience and it was you know it was a fantastic experience 70 days and uh you know a lot of memories so it's wonderful indeed indeed so then back to arizona yeah, back to Arizona and, again, uh, discovered uh, this professor who uh, took a class with him and kind of really got me passion, um, kind of lit a fire for me with regard to literature and um, all you could kind of glean from stories, you know? It's like, uh, you know, I, everybody reads Romeo and Juliet in high school and we none of us know what on earth. It's just two people that are in love, right? But, I mean, to get um, someone who can walk you through some of those things and... Um, you know, help you understand in a, in a Macbeth, you know, where that kind of ambition can lead to violence is, you know, it's kind of things that I think the liberal arts can teach us in a way that the news cannot, right? Uh, so I'm a big proponent of that. No matter what someone's career is, if they know how to read and they know how to communicate, mm-hmm. um, that's, the, that's a good, um, good starting point for almost any career. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. So after, so then after school, how did you, what, what then led you from Arizona to Oak Park? Uh, well, you want me to kind of go do the sh- long version or the short version? Let's or go make day it by day. Yeah. <laughs> we got all right, night. So I got back from Europe. No, uh, <laughs> so that night we had pizza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was the best we'd ever had. A $20 meal. Uh, you know, I, I have to say this, this English professor was um, very inspiring. He, um, he taught heroism in literature which was, you know, how to go out, you know, with the Iliad, we, that's kind of a, a starting point for that. But in, in, many, in many instances in literature, you read about the need to leave home and to go do something and uh, to, you know, discover the, the challenges out there and come back and kind of share what you've learned and, and be a different person than you were before. It's the hero's journey. The hero's journey. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Boy, do I feel like a third wheel. <laughs> Come on. You, yeah, you literature geeks, the, the, two, the two of you. Uh, you know, he, um, he encouraged me to, you know, um, continue to study. And so what I did is I ended up, um, it's kind of a big shift. I, I looked at, um, I, I entered the seminary for the Diocese of Phoenix. And I was trained to be a priest. Did I, did I not put that on the notes? You did. Am I am I shocking you with this? We, yeah, we missed that one. <laughs> well, I think yeah. you said you studied wow. theology, but that's different from uh, going to become a priest. Right. Yeah. Did you go to Brophy? No, no you said you went to no, Dobson. Yeah, yeah Dobson yeah. High School. Mm-hmm. So um, that's Brophy's what prep Catholic yeah. prep school. Brophy's one of the only mm-hmm. Catholic prep schools in the area. Mm-hmm. So I went. To, I went to public school, mm-hmm. but there was a big. Um, youth group at the high school right across the street from our, our school. And that really got a lot of kids involved in their faith. And so, and, uh, you know, that combined with this idea of, you know, uh, heroism and going uh, out on a journey and getting, you know, far from home for a longer time than just a bike trip. Um, so yeah, I was a seminary for the Diocese of Phoenix. I studied in, in Oregon for one year, kind of a transition between an English degree and then going into theology. And then I was in Belgium for three years which is uh, a wonderful place uh, to study theology. 
to finish your theology degree there. I did. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Did, was there, it all English? Did you? Was it all English speaking, or did you have to learn? Um, what, Flams, Dutch, Flemish. Flemish? Yeah. Kind of kind of betcha Netherlands. Oh, yeah. listen to that. Yeah. Uh, no, they they had they to teach speak German and French and well in the north of Belgium they speak Flemish, mm-hmm. which is a lot like Dutch, mm-hmm. and in the south they speak French. Yeah, that's what I thought. But where I lived in Louvain was just on the northern border of Flanders, mm-hmm. and so um, they spoke French. Or, I'm sorry, they spoke Flemish, mm-hmm. but the classes were in English. Oh, I mean, okay. they, they wanted to attract you know people from around the world. Right, right. It's English still, was the language that they offered. Still is the language of business and the language of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would have been nice to learn Flemish. Mm-hmm. I, I can. I have an, a, enough that I can say hello and, and order a coffee or a beer. That's all you need. That's it. Right. <laughs> Very you know, small I, percentage of people are exactly. going to know that. <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, you know, even, even though I, you know, wasn't, wasn't working, I was a student, there were opportunities to travel around and, um, um, you know, so I did, I did finish a degree there in theology, but you Is know, two year, three year, there's a three year degree. Three year degree. That was brave. That was a very brave uh, yeah, thing to in do. The theme of heroism. Yes. Um, but you know, so I, I'm not a priest and I was never ordained. So, uh, it became clear that I was. That it was a good thing for me to start, but the path wasn't going to be complete, right? Mm-hmm. That that, um, and you you have opportunities to talk to people about this throughout your process, and not only through your education, but your just discernment is what they call it, and you yeah. decide whether or not you're going to continue. I was like engaged, if you use an analogy of a wedding analogy, but not at the uh, at at the altar yet, right? right so, right. Uh, no pun intended, at the altar yet. But, so you um, started school with the intention of going into the yes. priesthood. Yes, but, le- exactly. but graduated knowing that was not your path. Yes, yeah. I, I finished the degree, but I didn't get ordained. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. different thing, right? It's, okay. um, mm-hmm. I finished the study, which I could have been ordained a priest, but um, to my bishops, uh, much to his, uh, I would say, disappointment. And, and reality is, is they don't they don't want someone who's not a right. right fit, right? At the end right. of the day, it's not if it's not what you're called to do, right. you shouldn't do it. So, so what contributed to the change, the change in feelings from when you enrolled to when you broke off the engagement? <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little story. So um, I was there 1995 through 98, it was the three years. And um, in 1998, um, I was finishing my degree and plans were in, in the works for an ordination. My bishop was coming to that, that December, he would have come. Um, and I had started to feel like, hey, this wasn't, this pro- probably is not for me, or I'm not quite sure if I should keep doing it, even though all the momentum was leading that way. Yeah. Right? So I asked God for a sign. Have you ever done done mm-hmm. this? Ask God for a sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and um, so I, I, I decided to go on a retreat in over Easter of 1998, and I rented a car. I was able to rent a car uh, through the seminary. And I drove down into France to this um, a religious community called Taizé. You mm-hmm. maybe have heard of yeah. Taizé prayer. Yeah, we did a Taizé okay. service. I used to play music They're at beautiful. a Taizé service at uh, my church. Oh, mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's really well-known world, world around because mm-hmm. of the way that they incorporate languages from mm-hmm. every, every country. 
So I thought I would go there, God would show me a sign, and it would be really clear for me for what to do. And so I drive down there, and I get there, and of course I hadn't made any kind of reservations or anything, and it's on holy the, the Holy Week, holy right? Week. Good Friday I show up, and there's nowhere for me to stay. No so room in the inn? No room in the inn. I slept in my car oh, that boy. first night in the rental car. Better than the alley. I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, an, an upgrade. Um, the, the next day, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm interacting with people, I'm wondering, you know, if I'm going to get some kind of guidance. And that night I, I met a French family and I could cobble together a little bit of French and they could understand a bit of English. And they realized I slept in my car the night before and they paid for me to stay in their, in their hotel. They paid for a room and my dinner that night, just incredible oh, hospitality. And that um, was really, really uh, important, I think, to have that. And so the next day I woke up, I went back to Pese, I went to the Easter Mass, and I remember hearing the word, as Catholics, we don't say Alleluia in Lent, and you hear it the first time in, uh, on Easter Sunday, and I, that was really moving. And I said, okay, that's good, you know, I'll, I'll go from there. So I get back in the car, and I drive, I start heading back, and uh, I remember that it hailed on the car. It started hailing there, right? And so nobody wants it to hail when you're in a rental car. And I started mm-hmm. wondering, like, did I, did I do the insurance or is this going to be a problem if there's damage to the car? I really mm-hmm. started worrying about that. Anyway, so um, I, mean, I get back, I call my bishop, I tell him I, need, tell him I need to come home. I need to discern more. I'm not sure this is where I need to go. And uh, um, I end up coming back home to Phoenix and um, started working as a teacher in a Catholic school, reconnected with... Michelle, who's now my wife of the same birthday, called her on our birthday, wished her happy birthday. We connected. And then uh, in 1999, so shortly after I got back, um, I was teaching, but I knew I needed a job in the summer. And so you might know where this is, uh, Vicki. I worked at a, um, an AJ's in Scottsdale. Mm-hmm. I, 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 uh, we were going on a hike on an early date and uh, I needed some water. And I went into this grocery store and they were hiring Someone uh, to work in the wine cellar. Oh, we'll tie this together, Mark. You'll, you'll catch this. I promise. I'm with you. Uh, I needed a job for the summer. And I said, well, a wine, I could try that out. And so I took the thing. I, I called the wine cellar master and, and I told her, I don't know anything about wine, but I'm familiar with the geography of Europe. I can talk about any of that. You teach me how to sell wine and I'm your guide. So she took a flyer on me and, and uh, started training me how to, how to drink wine and taste wine and sell it and teach it. So... Right around that time, um, I get engaged. My life has tr- changed dramatically from when I was, you know, preparing for a priest to be a priest. And uh, one of the ways in my job that they would train us is they would put on wine tastings. A distributor would come in and pour wine for you in like 20 different bottles. You could only take a sip. You should spit it, really. Just taste it and spit. But he was uh, teaching us how to talk about it so that we could sell it. And uh, so this was 2000. Um, that he was, there was a French distributor of French wines who was pouring these wines. About halfway through, he says, now this particular wine is really interesting. There was a hail on Easter Sunday <gasps> and the buds had already broke and it, the hail damaged the, the vine. You know, when the buds are broken, you're going to get f- less fruit, a lower yield. So they made less of this wine but the vine gave everything to it. So it was much more intense and a beautiful wine. And he pours the wine and I kind of start, you know, the, the little ping in my head, because Taizé, as you may know, is in Burgundy, France. So he, he pours the wine and, he, and it was a 1998 Burgundy. Oh. And I said I, to myself first, I was there. Oh my gosh, uh, that hail 
on the car that I remember hitting me on Easter Sunday impacted these vines that was a difficult thing at the time, but it made it a much more intense and more beautiful oh wine. Oh, my gosh. And I, that was very clearly a two-year three-year sign that it, you know, it, it, it took for me to be patient and kind of get what God was trying to say is that um, you never know, you know what difficulty you're having, how, how that can uh, f- turn into something better that you never had, could have seen in advance. So uh, that's, that's kind of the, 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 uh, the story of how I moved on from seminary to, uh, to a different stage of my life. That is amazing. Of course, we all want to know, did you have insurance on the car? <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me if I, if I bought, bought the wine. <laughs> no, um, no, I don't think it damaged it. Oh, I, mean, I don't awesome. remember any damage but to the wine. How but great. That is a great story. When I've shared that before, people have said, you, you bought a bunch of that wine, right? And I had to remind them that I couldn't rub two nickels <laughs> right. together. And I was in no, no shape to buy, you know, French Burgundy. But um, no, very meaningful. Unbelievable. Great Unbelievable. Story. I, I, uh, so looking back on various experiences through, through life, which I'm sure I've got a whole bunch more in store for me, the, uh, the presence of God in, in, in my life it, it has been revealed substan- more than once, more than once. And so it's, it's, uh, it's interesting going through difficult, uh, difficult times at the at the moment, and then with the benefit of hindsight, looking looking back on what lessons. So, for example, when I started in this business, uh, I was in the the big firm, the big firm world, and it's a little bit of a pervert. It's a little bit of money. It's very much money oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, a certain amount of perversion in that in that regard. And uh, but anyway, I got out of the financial advisor and training program, and being a uh, uh, one of you know, 10% of the people that actually get out of it. So being a quote success story, we had to go through a pretty substantial house downsize mm-hmm. yeah. uh, because of the income, the income hit that I took, which uh, at that time we had three kids. And uh, to my wife's credit, she didn't blink uh, when we, when we did that, we moved from a house, we moved from a house to a house that was effectively like moving from the house that we were in, into the garage. Mm-hmm. It was, <laughs> it was, a it was a substantial downsize. What were you doing before then, Mark? Before? Well, well, so the way that, the way that the financial advisor training program works or worked when I went through it is you get a, you get a salary for two years as you're building your, as you're building your business. And mm-hmm. then after the two years, the salary's gone. Got it. So I was, I was doing the same thing. Right. Just the salary was gone. And so Got it was affectionately referred to as falling off the cliff, mm-hmm. which was absolutely what <laughs> right. it was. Descriptive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, but, but again, as a, as a quote success story, I'm going through a massive house downsize and that's mm-hmm. actually how we moved to Wheaton. So we moved okay. from a we moved from a house in uh, in Aurora and made the downsize to Wheaton. But in um, I had some stuff I was working on. So my 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 uh, which clearly God was working on for me because when we would have friends come over to the house, the garage size the, house, the, the new yeah the smaller who had version been, yeah. who had been at the big one, <laughs> bigger one, right? Uh, they didn't have their coats off. And I was already saying, so the game plan here is to knock this down and we're going to build, we're going to build this and we're going to build that and blah, blah, blah. Which what I was really saying was, I'm not a loser. Don't judge me by my, don't the size judge. of my house. Right, right. Part of the plan. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so, so the, you know, the, 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 getting into this business, 
that money orientation had started uh, had started to infect me, mm-hmm. and I was be, I was I was more sensitive to that than I than I should than I should have been, and that slap in the face. Uh, I'm not entirely cured of that, but but that that reoriented my my thinking in a in a big in a big way. So at the moment, I didn't appreciate it, but with yeah. the benefit of hindsight, it was clearly God working on me. Yeah, yeah. I think those moments of pain. My mom used to say, "Pain is a powerful teacher." So those the dark nights of the soul teach us a lot. And faith, right? The idea of having a faith that it will turn out yeah. the right way. Yeah. Yeah. So you go from being a priest to being a wine peddler. That's a, that's a, that's <laughs> Actually, a, that's, that's not, that's, no offense to the priest, but mm. that's not that far um, field. <laughs> that's that's well, exactly, saying, exactly. At least Mark. the priest yeah, I've known. You, you looked up my LinkedIn, I guess. So <laughs> I, uh, you know, on, our, on our first wedding anniversary, we wanted to go somewhere um, in, in Arizona that we hadn't been. And so I, I knew there was a wine industry from selling wine. I knew there was Arizona wine, which you might not know. It's quite good, actually. Arizona wine's really good. Grown, produced, yeah. and the whole thing, start <laughs> yeah, to finish. Yeah. Not yeah. just there and sold. Every state grows wine. I mean, some of it's, um, you know, swill. Others, you know, try to make really good wines to enjoy and to have with food. So um, the Arizona wine industry really is probably about 25 years old. And um, so I, I, we, I looked, it, where is the wine region in Arizona? And there was a place in Southern Arizona, Sonoida. Mm-hmm. And I started doing a little bit of research on it. And uh, I called them and just wanted to see, hey, do you guys open for visitors? Or is this like a farm or a vineyard? Or what, you know, what's the deal there? And I had a conversation with a guy and um, it kind of turned into a job interview after that. And I, you know, I realized that they, they don't, didn't go through a distributor because it was really a farm. And so they could sell directly to the public or to restaurants. Mm-hmm. And I, I got a job. I told him, hey, I want to be your guy up here in Phoenix. He was down in southern Arizona. Um, and uh, he hired, hired me on the phone. <laughs> and uh, I met his partner, great. and his partner gave me a key to their storage. And so I would go and take wines to uh, restaurants and um, you know events and things like that and, and sell Arizona wine. So I did become a wine, wine First peddler. phone call job offer? That all happened in one phone conversation? One, and it wasn't even trying to get a job. I was wanting to see if we could go down there for our, our anniversary, right? This was our, our, maybe our first or second wedding anniversary. I'm not sure. But um, I just, you know, I had I asked inquisitive questions about mm-hmm. what you do and how do you sell your product. And mm-hmm. I told them I'd seen it. And how do you, what's your plan to sell more? And I go, well, could you use a sales guy up in Phoenix? And he's sure. Could like, I? <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, again, I met his partner. And there was, I guess there was a second meeting of his partner in Phoenix who had to make sure, you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, I had teeth or something like that. And <laughs> right. sure confirm right. some things, basic. But yeah, and then he gave me, he gave me the key to their storage. And so I That's... went and started pouring their wines. Awesome. Indeed. Cottonwood. Um, I had a sister-in-law girls yeah. weekend. We went to Cottonwood. When did you do that? A, just within the last couple of months. Okay, what, what wines do you try? My, my, my friend is up, up there now. I wish I could tell you. Pillsbury Cottonwood's Wine? A... Cottonwood, Arizona. It's okay. like north. It's sort of on the way to Sedona. It's almost to Sedona. Okay. It, you hang a left. That's, that's how it's known. That's like having right. a famous older brother. Like, yeah, you're, <laughs> like you're near Sedona. That's a, right, oh, right, good. Right. Now, now I have yeah, it. I got it figured out. Yeah, right. so, yeah. But it's, um, it's flat. I mean, it's beautiful country, but it's not yeah. like 
quite the red rocks that no, Sedona is. No, and it's there probably because traffic, you know, mm-hmm. goes to Sedona and people have settled there and they realize you can you can grow wine. In Arizona, you've got to be- I will go back to my a, photo okay. roll to see where we were. Steve, we'll talk <laughs> about that I want to take later. a look at that. Yeah. I bet if you, if you did more than one, um, if you did a couple we of them- We just did the one in, in downtown Cottonwood. We oh, had a reservation funny. Oh, for Oh, okay. Tasting. I think I know who that is. Um, but no, the, the, the partner, the second guy that I met and gave me the key, he moved on and had his own, um, has his own now winery and vineyard. His name's Sam Pillsbury. He's a, a filmmaker uh, from New Zealand. That's him. That's the, that's him. <laughs> that's where we went, kidding? Sam Pillsbury. Because he had uh, movie posters all over the Free Willy room. Three. Yes. Did you know there were three of them? That's up on the wall. Yes, I do remember that. Oh, that's so funny. That no, Sam and his wife, Melanie, and their son, Luke, are, yeah. are dear friends. Well, their team was great. They yeah. were really, they're, uh, I don't know if she's the sommelier, but the woman who waited on okay. us was terrific. And she talked, I mean, the culture of that firm, she talked about the culture of the firm and how Sam gave her an opportunity. She had her own story. So That's well, great. Again, well, so stop in an AJ's for water. And AJ's, by the <laughs> exactly. way, is a kind right. of a she-she like, grocery store, very yeah, high end. Yeah, yeah. And then getting a wine distributor job. Mm-hmm. So what'd you do in the second month after graduating from? <laughs> <laughs> right, this is day by day. Right. So where are we? Right. 80, 89. We're on late, Tuesday. Late. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, let's see, what was I doing? I, I got into sales, basically. So I kind of formally moved away from teaching, although I kind of never lost that love and that interest. Um, Wine sales uh, turned into another sales position. And in fact, that, that company was, um, they, they sold um, Catholic resources to churches. And so they're based here in Chicago. And so working for them for three years as a salesperson in the field in, in Phoenix uh, did, did really well. And they brought me here to uh, run their sales team in 2010. So that's why we moved from, from Arizona to uh, the Chicago area. When I... So I came out before my, my kids were four and two, and we kind of figured if we're going to move, now's a good time. Now's a good time. Mm-hmm. They're four and two, no school, no no uh, kindergarten yet. So I came out in like February or, or March, and we kind of knew what we were getting into. I'd been back here before, and and in fact we were we were ready to be away from a hundred degrees and sunny days. If you can imagine, you can uh, actually get I, tired of that. Yeah, I can. I can. I remember it's sunny again. <laughs> exactly. It's so monotonous. When I was a kid, we'd go out and play in the rain. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was such a change. So exciting. Yeah, Monsoon breakup. season yeah. is Any so exciting. Precipitation was you know a celebration. Um, <laughs> So where I worked in kind of the Rosemont area and I had no idea where, where we were going to live. I literally put a protractor in a map and I kind of drew a 30 minute radius in terms of, I didn't want to have to go any further than that. And it, and it went through Oak Park Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, some of the people I worked with were there. And so that's kind of where we ended up and it, and it worked for us. I mean, we, we lived in a sub, speaking of downsizing, we, we lived in a, in a suburb and kind of far out in Phoenix and had a bigger home and, but you had to drive everywhere in, in Phoenix County, you still do. It's pretty sprawling. Yeah. So mm-hmm. part of the appeal of moving was being in a denser area where um, you, you walk a lot and uh, access to the city was kind of an interesting thing for us with the kids and doing all the cultural yeah. opportunities and museums and everything. So, Did you have people ask you like they did to us, 
you're going the wrong way. That's Why it. are you moving to Chicago from Phoenix? Everybody else is moving. Is that, that's way. like a plane, trains, and automobiles reference too, right? You're driving yes. the wrong way. Absolutely. The wrong way. Yeah, they look at you like a, yeah. you know, two heads. You know, but you do realize f- people go the other way. Is yes. what they say, the right? They retire seasons. out there. The four seasons, though, are great to be here. Our first Christmas, yeah. it snowed. Yeah. Christmas Day, at 2010, our kids woke up in snow. You know, yeah. so they never seen that before so um, well and oak park is like on the edge of the city so you get the benefits of a suburb but access to the totally, city totally right mm-hmm. two two CT, cta lines coming yeah. in so yeah, yeah. i lived there to... for three months while i got the job that brought us here my husband was back in phoenix finishing the kids were finishing school and um so i started my job at a big pr firm downtown and i lived at the um carlton hotel yeah uh, on Pleasant uh, Pleasant Street, I called it the Carlton Hotel and Home for Wayward Girls. It was the first time I'd ever lived by myself. I was like, "Woohoo!" The first month, second month, I was like, mm. "Third month, I was, where's my family?" <laughs> so we ended up on coming to Wheaton because I just kept taking the train line out farther and farther okay. till I found a home that we was Poor Phil's there when you were there at the Carlton. Oh yes! Oh my gosh, was. that's just a wonderful spot. <laughs> it was. We love that spot. It was my, Is that our Oak Park restaurant? It's part of the hotel. It's part of the hotel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, on the first yeah. floor. And then um, the other part was a kind of a swanky restaurant. Yeah. I don't remember. I what. think that thing keeps turning over. Yeah. But the poor Phil stays. Oak Park is lovely. Yeah. So we, um, you know, I, I worked for that company for a bit, and that's when I made the shift in um, 2014, 2015, and wanted to actually, I got involved with um, a, a co op in Oak Park, and they, they were trying to build a, a, a grocery store. Um, and the insight was the farmer's market was very popular in the summer in Oak Park. But uh, there were a group of people that said, why can't we have this all the time? Why can't we support local farmers and regional farmers all the time? And the idea was to um, drum up membership for a grocery store in Oak Park. And so I, I got interested in this. And I'm so starting we would to see the mark. Are you tracking uh-oh. here? Starting to see the advancement, the click. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly right. So you know, in Oak Park, they've got these, um, you know, big porches, and, uh, and we would have, you know, an, an ambassador. I was an ambassador, and we had membership meetings on, on porches, and you know, you'd tell people about this store, and mm-hmm. they'd want to know where it would be and how much the eggs were going to cost. Those are mm-hmm. their, kind of their their questions, and you know, we had some answers for that. You know, it might cost a little more than mm-hmm. than at the you know the chain grocery store, and, and here's why that's good, why it's good for the environment why it's good for your health, you know, those kinds of things. So it was, it was really mission driven, exactly as you're mm-hmm. saying, Vicky, mission driven memberships really at that point. And this was on the side of your normal job. Yeah. This was volunteer, yep. entirely volunteer. And it kind of got me, you know, kind of uh, catalyzed what I was already thinking of doing was making a career change. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I did turn it into a, a, a fund. My first fundraising job was um, at an Institute of Catholic Thought what is that, right? What is that? Um, at the University of Chicago. Um, so the Institute was separate from the University of Chicago, but um, kind of connected culturally with the academic environment. And so our mission was to bring Catholic scholars from around the world in every uh, discipline to give uh, academic lectures on the campus of the University of Chicago, but to do it with with God as a starting point. Not in the lecture per se, but... Um, you know, it, it wasn't a topic to be avoided, but it was like, like you could have, we had a physicist from Harvard who was a mass going Catholic, a faithful mm-hmm. Catholic who in personally had integrated her faith and her work mm-hmm. and, 
and maybe couldn't speak freely about that at her right. home institution, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But coming as a as a guest of the physics department, a, a co-sponsored event, physics department, and our institute could speak to students at the University of Chicago, and people were very interested to come and speak at UC. I bet. Uh, could speak freely with God as a starting point, but to give an academic lecture. And, and the, so the content and also the witness of that personal integration was just the mission, really. And so, um, you know, rather than just having uh, God be kind of con- confined to one department, it was, um, you know, we had law professors come and speak, or economics professors come and speak, uh, physics, and certainly the humanities. So it really... Um, Lawyers believe in God? <laughs> <laughs> we, found, we found a couple. Okay. A couple. Um, they had to prove it first before right. I let them talk. I, exactly. I want to see the rig- Rigorous yes. uh, yeah, screening process. <laughs> a lot like your screening process. Very rigorous. <laughs> That is, though, a a hot topic is scientists who are also faith-based, you know, have a faith. Uh, We've, I know at my church, we've had scientists from Fermilab or Argonne come and speak about their faith because there is a a sort of a divide of faith and science. So that that sounds like a fascinating uh, institution or institute. Yeah, there there is an enormous divide there. I think that people, um, you know, uh, Catholics and probably other other denominations, kids and young adults that leave their faith and their college years and maybe just beyond that, they do. It, a lot of them will indicate that there's this kind of um, conflict between science and faith that they can't reconcile, and they haven't seen people that have done it. Right. And if you're forced to choose one, I mean, many will say, well, science is where you get truth. And religion is, um, you know, about good feelings and emotion and, uh, um, you know, it's not, it's, it's stories, right? So you need someone to be, be able to show how you integrate scientific truth with truth that you can learn um, from, from, you know, other, other ways, yeah, <laughs> other ways that great. humans access that. So um, one of the things that came out of that, or, or that organization I worked for was now there's, there's an academy of Catholic scientists. I mean, mm. there's a group of them that have gotten together and they, mm. they um, together kind of witnessed to that, that truth, that uh, truth is united, whether it's scientific truth or, you know, religious truth or any kind, I think. Amazing. So then that brings you to St. Francis? Right. Yep. Right after that, um, in the, in the middle of the pandemic, um, is when I kind of looked West and, um, again, became familiar with, uh, with a wonderful community of St. Francis. You know? So what, co- what caused you to be, to be thinking about that? That, that sounds like remarkably impactful stuff down at the University of Chicago and high profile institution. And yeah, you know, um, it, it was for sure impactful. I think there, you know, there was some challenges in terms of communicating mission and impact. You know, one of the things we were doing was like, it's funny, someone described it, you know, when like Theo Epstein came in and was GM for the Cubs, didn't, I think he told everybody we're going to be lousy for a while, right? Because we have to build up the farm team. Right. And, um, and in some ways that was the mission of Lumen Christi is taking the long view at University of Chicago. A lot of those people will go on and take positions in academia or politics or wherever it might be. And so it was preparing people that will have an impact in five, 10, 20, 50 years down the road. And so um, the idea of working at a, at a high school where there's kids right there that you're impacting and mm-hmm. um, the immediacy of that 
was uh, just something that I had considered and I kind of kept an eye on things. And like I said, when I saw the St. Francis connection and how much that means to me personally, yeah. um, I, I inquired and uh, learned uh, learned enough about the community. And I think they, um, they, they saw a fit with what I was interested in doing. And so, um, yeah, I think it, I felt uh, at home fairly quickly, even though there were again, no other connections beyond the saint at that time. So, Well, that is our yeah. lucky break. Here in Wheaton. <laughs> that brings us to Wheaton. So we've already <laughs> yeah, talked with some people great. that have been in Wheaton for their entire lives. Yeah. Wow. So what's what are your what are your impressions as a as a newcomer to Wheaton? Hmm. Good question. So, you know, I, I maybe just know a slice of it, um, but uh, probably a pretty good representation from from the the students and the you know I'm not teaching, so I don't interact with them quite as much. I interact more with people like you, Mark, and parents. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Uh, gener- generous it, with their with their time and their hospitality and welcoming, um, you know. Obviously, in the atmosphere we're in, very uh, concerned about a thriving, you know, making sure that St. Francis is a thriving school. And um, you know, I think the leadership we have now, uh, we have new new president mm-hmm. there. Congratulations! Uh, Can you thank you. Share the president's name. With yeah, us? his name is Phil Kerr. Phil Kerr. Uh, he's, he's not an alum, but he's practically an, like an honorary alum. I mean, mm-hmm. he's been around the school for over 40 years. So um, his wife is an alum and they have three daughters that are alums. So he, he has, um, you know, a lot of credibility, I guess, in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, his belief in the school and his yeah. connections. So, yeah. and he, I think he's got, um, you know, what it takes to take the school in the direction we need to go, which for, for any private school, any Catholic school, you know, there's challenges. It's a, it's an aging building. It's 65 plus years old. Um, you know, we want to continue to draw students without having to, you know, depend on, um, you know, uh, the tuition having mm-hmm. to continue to be raised. That's, that's, a, that's a challenge always. Right. So we want to include as many people as we can, but we do have to pay the bills, mm-hmm. you know? And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, there's a great plan that the school has, I think, to, uh, launch itself into its next 65 years, you know? And so it's great. It's great to be a part of it right and now. What, what's enrollment done since you've been there? That we're going to attribute entirely to your impact. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I get credit where credit's due. On the back, uh, you know, we got a bit of a bump during COVID. I think there were families that felt like, "Hey, we want our kids to be um, in person." So um, that uh, that helped out in, in 2020 and 2021. Um, we've got great um, uh, interest in the school right now, and um, I think record breaking. Um, entrance exam numbers that we had in, in uh, December. And so we're right in, right, just preparing really for next month when there'll be registrations and we'll see, um, you know, how many students actually register. But we're, we are uh, really um, uh, not hopeful. I mean, we, 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 we believe that there will be uh, an increase in, in uh, enrollment just because the, the word, you know, has gotten out about how, what kind of great things there are happening um, in our campus. When does your training as a priest come into play? How does that help you as a, in the role that you're in and just in daily mm. life? You know, I don't know that anyone's ever asked that question. That's a great question. That is I'm a pausing great, that to think about my question. answer. You know, I, I, in fundraising, as probably in your profession, Mark, and yours as well, uh, you, you, have to have, you have to develop relationships and you have to have trust. And uh, that's certainly something that, was a part of our training, um, in seminary. I mean, you have opportunities to 
interact with people in some of their most uh, meaningful moments of their lives. And, um, and their most vulnerable, vulnerable moments. moments. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's a, it's an, it's an honor and a responsibility to um, be invited into those spaces with people. And so I think fundraising is very similar. Uh, it's funny. People ask, um, how can you, how can you ask people for money? I mean, that seems like a, such a hard thing to do. And I mean, I think the reality is, is that you, you, when you have a relationship with somebody and you do develop that trust, uh, I feel like you're right with me, Mark, and you know kind of what I'm talking about is yeah, I'm that with you. you you kind of earn, earn the right to ask them about what their passions are and mm -hmm. what do they want to do and how do they want to accomplish things. And so it's 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 a natural um, outcome of of um, kind of developing a trusted relationship. And so some of that, you know, uh, certainly fit what I was interested in early on, you know, as studying for the priesthood. Um, and you know, I don't know if I would call it a skill. It's, it's, maybe it is, I don't know. It's an interest and it's, um, I guess a commitment mm -hmm. that's, <laughs> that, a that's the kind of work that I want to do. And so that, that's maybe a, it's definitely a skill. I mm -hmm. think there you go. I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's definitely what a skill. What would you call it if you had so to put a word on it? Yeah. Well, now you're asking me a good question. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I might need to, I might need to defer to give that, to give that further, to give that further thought. But, but I get, but I guess one way that I think about, that I think about that is I talked to our, uh, we, we've made a couple of, uh, hires that are advisors and training here. And I've used the, I've used the phrase with them that, uh, that I think about being a financial advisor as being a brain mouth athlete. So an athlete isn't born at whatever level they end up getting to, they need to practice and develop and learn from mistakes and, and so develop it. So you need to develop that skill. Mm -hmm. And, and I would, I would say as a financial advisor or somebody that's in development or leading a not-for-profit or producing a podcast, uh, nobody's born with any of those, with any, with any of those abilities that you just, that, that, that needs to, that needs to be developed over time. Uh, and I think it, it gets better developed over time if you're passionate about right. uh, whatever it is that whatever it is that you're doing, and so trying to produce a better experience for uh, for whatever clients you might be you might be serving. How's that for a made up made up <laughs> answer? Sounded great. Right. I'm going to put that on my resume. <laughs> That's a skill. Great. Well, I think that idea of commitment, right? The idea that you're you're fulfilling on a commitment and and going back to, uh, if I may give another plug for English literature oh, majors. Oh, girl. a girl. The whole idea of building a story, right? The idea that bringing people into your story and, and that through a commitment of whatever time, talent, money, uh, time, talent, tithes, that, uh, that they have a legacy. You're helping them create a legacy. Yeah towards something that's important yeah. to them. Yeah, that's right on. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. See, English majors rule. <laughs> right. One more English major <laughs> reference, and I'm storming out yeah. of here. <laughs> so I'll try to control ourselves. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. I feel Thank so you. seen. Thank you. So hurt. So I've got some ribs in the fridge. 
That's a transition. It is. Okay. Right? Yeah. So we've Did had, you smoke them? We, no. Yeah, what did you do? Not, that's what I want to talk yeah, to you good. about. Because okay. I haven't, I haven't I made it. them. I haven't I made, it. I've not made ribs yet. Oh. Ooh. Okay. I've not made ribs yet. Are they, and are you are they a specialist Lewis? in ribs? I, I, did I miss I, that in the bio? No. Not a specialist, but a, 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 kind it's of like a- man to man. I was going through Steve's garbage in preparation for this, and I saw that I could tell from the garbage that he was he likes to- ribs man. He likes to do some stuff in the yeah. kitchen. Am I, yeah. am I wrong? No, I do, I do love it. Yeah, I get um, I get assigned, you know, one night a week. And so I've got to kind of have a little rotation of, you know, five or seven things that I, I do. Five or seven. Maybe yeah. a few more than that. Breakfast, if I include breakfast, breakfast it's maybe 10. That's so a whole eggs other thing. Yeah. Ooh, you, yeah. really? You got to make your own hollandaise make, sauce. Wow, you have to do boom. it. That's the whole thing. Now we're talking. Mm-hmm. But no, so ribs. So you Baby have back yeah, ribs. I, okay, I was going to say, why those and not St. Louis? Did you do them? Oh, I'm not sure. Just did that. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's just what I that's just what I do. <laughs> it's not. I'm, to, a, I'm a rookie. Come on, stop. take it easy on me, Steve. Well, right, not, yeah, yeah. I order out. I'm not. A, I'm not further ahead, really. Maybe a half step. Maybe. So I yes, did ask. So I was having this conversation with somebody else who's much more experienced at, okay. at, uh, yeah. at smoking, and I said, Let's "Should I boil them?" And he. That's the, he, gave, he gave me the same reaction. Yeah, no. no, no, no. Well, I've got Even a buddy that. that I've got a buddy that does. Yeah. So if you're listening, Scott, stop S, it. Stop well, boiling stop, your ribs. Scott. I suppose you'd have to do the side by side, right? And maybe say, hey, what what's the, what's boiled and non boiled? Based on your like, two yeah. reaction and the guy I was talking to the other day's reaction, I don't think there needs to no. be any yeah. further exploration. Yeah. No, I don't think I'm we not, need we, to Yeah, carry so that. we're not we're not boiling them. Do you, yeah. Do you have uh, what's the what's the the smoker that you've got? Do you have a, an egg or something like that? What's so it I got one of those uh, the pellet grills, which That's the guy, which right. this other the okay. same guy that I was talking to. Yeah, I when I asked, am I really? He builds his own smokers. Oh my god, it's impressive. So I asked, I, I said, so when I'm using the pellet grill, am I really barbecuing? And, and he. <laughs> I need a ruling on this. He, yeah, let's get a ruling. He, he didn't. I just, on the look on his face, <laughs> I knew what the, I knew what the answer oh, was gosh. immediately. He didn't say a word. And I, and I said, I, I got it. I'm a rookie. Yeah, that's a, I'm, I'm all, I'm all good with that. But that's where I am in my, yeah. in my barbecuing game. Good for game. you. Yeah. It's, so it's, what should it's I be a whole doing? world out there. Well, I mean, I just have, I have a simple Weber grill. You yeah. Know? You just, well, how do you make your ribs? Uh, so you've got to have a little bit of water okay. on one side. Uh, so they stay, you know, moist. And then, um, again, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty simple. Just a little bit of charcoal on one kind of not, not right under yeah. the rib. Um, you put some wood in there and let that kind of slow, I think 225. I, I, I think that's what you want to keep it at if memory serves a nice low temperature and, you know, f- five or six hours later, you're fine. So when it depends he, on what you put, you also want a good rub, yeah, okay. a really good rub. Yeah. What's and, your favorite rub? <laughs> Whatever okay, we I have think in we the kitchen. Cu- cut this short right here, <laughs> gentlemen. I'm just saying. I'm doing this. Okay, Two, I'm okay. doing this. Yeah, this weekend I'm doing you know. this. Oh, this so weekend. I, there's, right. there's, I need. I need I'll help. send you what I what I have, but it's not a. I, we don't buy it in a store. We just throw it together with okay. whatever whatever spices we've got in the cupboard. Okay, good. Let that about an hour, maybe two hours in the fridge, and then. Uh, Slow cook. So yeah, four or five hours. So I don't do the overnight thing, you know, where people are getting up in the middle of the night. There's probably something, speaking of heroic, about that. You know, it's not a mountain to climb. So I'll, I'll, tell okay. you, I'll share with you what I do. What else and do you like to do in the kitchen? Well, so, homemade uh, holidays. I'm still again, impressed with that. Yeah, my daughter, who says she doesn't like eggs, okay. eats eggs Benedict. 
which is the eggiest thing like on the planet, mm-hmm. right? right? Mm-hmm. Eggs on eggs. Um, you know, I, I'll make a pasta carbonara. I, I you know, we'll muscles. do Hold on, slow you down. Said, yeah. Muscles. Yeah, you said so, muscles is your go-to, okay, yeah. right? And so like back to Belgium here, uh-huh. right? When you go to Belgium, uh, you know, and I was, I, I didn't know anything about their cuisine, but you learn that they do beer, they do chocolate, uh, they do waffles, <laughs> surprise. Uh, do they really? They do waffles. <laughs> that's, that's not but an American thing. But it's not like thing? the ones that you think. They're not like light and fluffy. They're they're kind of brick-like and dense, and they Ooh. keep you warm in a cold winter day. Ooh. So okay. yeah, they're wonderful. That sounds good. Um, and they and they do mussels. So that I, I had mussels there, and um, you know something about buying the buying the mussels and and cleaning them and and uh, you know cooking them in a pot. And it's actually a little bit of pre-work when you got to get them ready and clean them up. But it's. Um, my wife and I love it. And so we do mussels probably once once a month. Um, that's an easy one. Um, some of the other ones are you know, one pot wonders like beef burgundy or a roast con pollo. If I want to go the Latin direction pollo. there, I can I'm I can pull that it. off. <laughs> You're giving I'm me a lot of credit there with your looks, I'm very hungry. Yeah, well, I'm very exactly hungry right now. Right, yeah. So yeah. I don't know, about a half a dozen things maybe that I'm, I'm called on from time to time. It's not, not like the Herculean tasks my wife does, you know. Keeping Cook, everybody, yeah, fed keeping everybody every day. fighting off those hunger. other six days. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. So let's are you still a too. wine connoisseur? Um, you know, I don't think I ever was a connoisseur. I think I just enjoyed enjoyed drinking wine. But you, you know, know, I mean, you know what you're doing when you choose a wine. I do. I do mm-hmm. know how to. How, I spend a little bit too much time, though. I think in the wine store, you know, reading all the labels. Really, and, though, is there yeah. such a thing? I don't know. That's true. Yeah. No, you can't. You I can't. So. I think. A dis- I think. Going to that word discernment, it's good to be a discerning wine consumer. Tell me what you think about this wine ordering strategy in the restaurants. I go to the wine list, I look for a Napa Valley wine, and then look for the least expensive Napa Valley wine, and that's the one I go with. (laughs) What do you think about that? You're shaking your head laughing at me the same way that the guy I asked about a pellet grill being a legitimate (laughs) barbecue tool. I just totally humiliated myself. No, I think that, you know, if you know a varietal that you like and you know a region that you like, um, you know, Napa is better than just California. Um, You know, that's kind of how I think wines are, you know, wines can be astronomical, right? Um, But I think you got to find something you like. And then if it's a special occasion, you know, you can do that varietal um, that that you like, but maybe at a little smaller region, you know, that's kind of where the pricing kind of comes in if it's. If there's less of it, it's more expensive. You okay. know, so. But uh, yeah, stick with the varietal in the, in the region you like, and that's, that's a good start. Then again, I am asking the guy that's recommending Arizona wine, so maybe I shouldn't oh, listen to what easy listen. there. Oh, yeah, take it easy. Oh, sorry. You are, yeah. uh, once again, outnumbered. I'm yeah, bigger than I mean, both of you. <laughs> you are. You know, why, yeah, <laughs> wines grown in Arizona don't taste like wines grown in California. They shouldn't. You know, the soil's different. The terroir right? is different, terroir. right? So, I have a know. challenging question for you. How can we lure you out here to live in Wheaton? Ooh, uh, I don't. Yeah, it's not. It's not a huge challenge. Are you lureable? Um, well, you think you know. The obviously, there's the, there's the boss. Um, yeah, right. That, the boss. Know, she's got her running group friends mm-hmm. and her book club friends. Yeah. And I'm sure. Do they have running group friends out here? We have book lot, club? I bet they have that. Great yeah, running yeah, groups. Yeah, we got book clubs galore. So tell tell her that we want to invite you all okay, out here. Okay, she would find just uh, for a quick. 
you know, run through <laughs> just to see what that would what that would be like. I will. I'll let her know the invitations. Well, and I'll tell you why yeah. I share this because I lived in we. I've lived in Wheaton, but I worked in the city, so I took the metro. Do you take the metro? Or do you drive um, from Oak Park to here? Yeah. No, I just drive right down Roosevelt. Drive. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, but I took the train into the city for six years back and forth and back and forth. And I really felt like a visitor here. I felt like I had a visa, a permit to live on the weekends and evenings, see my family, and then get back on the train at 6.40 in the morning uh, to go back into the city. So when I, I actually ended up working at Marion Joy, which was part of the Wheaton Franciscan Services right. uh, at that time. Now it's Northwestern. Uh, but the idea of living and working four minutes away was it changed everything. So I have realtors for you. So we can, we can uh, <laughs> okay. chamber well, approved we'll, realtors. We'll, we'll get up. you, get you thinking about that. We'd love to have you here. Great. Steve, great visiting with you. Very much, very much have enjoyed getting to, getting to know you. This has been uh, taking us to another level. So I just, uh, just, just love it. So, uh, and again, really appreciate what you and everybody else at St. Francis does both for, both for our daughter and the, and the broader student population. So keep, keep up the great work you guys are doing. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Thanks Vicki. Thank Thanks so much. Steve. Well, that's it. Another episode of The Local in the Can. Thanks for joining us. If you have any story ideas or comments, drop us a note at fairhavenwealth.com and be sure to subscribe, review, and rate us on your favorite platform. I'm Mark Horner, and I hope you'll join us next time when we cut another episode of The Local. The Local.